Welcome to Ed Council Insights. This is our podcast to provide insights into new legal developments in the Missouri education community. If you are a Missouri school leader, school board member, or any public educational decision maker in Missouri, well, you are in the right place. Today, we're going to be talking about a U.S. Supreme Court case that was handed down this week that we've all been waiting for. That is the infamous case involving the student free speech rights regarding off-campus speech on social media, uh, and that is the case of Mahanoy Area School District. I'm sure I butchered how that's pronounced versus BL, and as we've subsequently learned, that's Brandy Levy, also known as the cheerleader free speech case. Uh, this case has been widely reported in the media, so many of our listeners are going to be familiar with the basic facts, but for those who may not have been completely dialed into this one, we should probably provide a few basics here. Um, in this case, the student, Randy Levy, uh, was a frustrated ninth grader who ha- was passed over for varsity cheerleading squad. So over the weekend, she posted on Snapchat a photo of herself and a friend with upraised middle fingers and a rant that was F school, F softball, F cheer, F everything. So you kind of get the idea. Uh, That Snapchat was sent to about 250 friends, including fellow cheerleaders at the school. So the cheerleading coaches were alerted to it by one of the girls and Levy is uh, subsequently suspended from varsity cheerleading for one year, uh, but she wasn't suspended from school in any way. So there was no out-of-school suspension whatsoever. It was simply a suspension from varsity varsity cheerleading. And uh, so the Supreme Court took a look at this issue and and ruled that the cheerleaders' online F-bombs about her school, uh, those were protected free speech under the First Amendment. But in an 8-to-1 vote, the court also declared that school administrators do have the power to punish student speech that occurs online or off campus if it genuinely disrupts classroom study. So in this instance, the justices concluded that a few swear words posted online, off school grounds, did not rise to the definition of disruptive or sufficient disruption in the school operations to warrant any sort of regulation of the free speech. Now, in this instance, the disruption cited by the school was limited to five to 10 minutes of algebra class for just a couple of days, and that some of the members of the cheerleading team were upset about the content of Levy's Snapchats. So today, We thought we'd take the opportunity to discuss the ruling in this particular case and its potential impact on Missouri schools. With me today to dive into this one are two of my partners here at Ed Council, Drew Marriott and Tom Smith. Welcome, Drew and Tom. Thanks, Dwayne. Thanks, Dwayne. It's good to be back. The cheerleader case. Uh, We've been kind of waiting on this one. Um, knew that we would likely get a ruling uh, this month, um, and I want to spend some time with you guys, kind of breaking this apart a little bit and seeing if it changes the analysis that we would normally undertake and how we'd advise our school leaders here in Missouri, um, and maybe how school leaders need to be thinking of these problems differently um, in the wake of this uh, particular decision. So to get us 
kicked off here, Drew, why don't you just give us kind of your big takeaways from uh, this ruling this week? We've been operating under the Tinker framework for a little over 50 years now. And so um, one thing to recognize is that this is really the first time in uh, since 1969, that a student has prevailed on their free speech case in front of the Supreme Court. So that that that's interesting in and of itself. When we look at this and the Tinker um, framework for which we've been operating, um, you know, in the past we've always looked at it, it, if the speech causes um, or is reasonably forecasted to cause a material or uh, and substantial disruption to the educational environment, then that's something that we we can discipline. Um, hear what the court came back and said, and this is limited solely to off-campus speech. So that's one thing that we need to, we need to understand. It's not going to change how we look at things um, that happen in school or that analysis. Uh, but what they really said here is that, and this is a quote from Justice Breyer's opinion that he drafted, we do not believe the special characteristics that give schools additional license to regulate student speech all, uh, always disappear when a school regulates speech that takes place off-campus. So in permitted situations, there are really, really they enumerated four kind of areas where we can regulate that speech. That's serious or severe bullying or harassment targeting particular individuals, threats aimed at teachers or students, failure to follow rules concerning lessons, writing papers, the use of computers or participation in online school activities and breaches of school security devices. They didn't limit it to that solely um, they said this will be a case by case basis as we go forward and look, look at um, look at speech as this as these situations arise. Um, but really, what I think the takeaway here is is that um, we we're not going to just have to show that there is a forecasted uh, it's forecasted to cause a material and substantial disruption to school. We actually have to show that there's really a significant disruption to school. And in this instance, I think the court came back and said, yes, you as a school district can regulate off-campus speech, but you're gonna have to show how it in fact actually really disrupted your educational environment. And they didn't rise to that level here. Okay, I'm gonna break that apart a little bit, um, Drew, if I can. You seem to be emphasizing that uh, the reasonable forecast, they didn't really formally say that it, uh, a reasonable forecast um, is not enough. It's just that in this particular case, we had some level of disruption and they said that's not sufficient. Is that kind of what you're getting to? That's correct. Yeah. I mean, in this situation, the the 10 minutes of disruption to class, I think historically we might have said under a tinker analysis, well, that's that's a material right. and substantial disruption. Now, now it has us questioning, okay, um, if that's not a material and substantial disruption, what what is? Is it a longer period of time? Is it, um, it, you know, is it going to be something that has to disrupt an entire class or disrupt an entire day or take an administrator's amount of time to investigate for an entire day? I think in looking at this situation, what it's what it's showing us is that we are going to have to document and show something more significant than 10 minutes of disruption to a math class two days in a row. Good, good. You know, one of the things that you mentioned there that I want to kind of get Tom in on uh, is the discussion about uh, on-campus versus off-campus here. You know, in this particular case, it was off-campus speech that we were dealing with, and the court went into some level of analysis um, 
emphasizing that there's a difference, um, you know, and that the school may have greater authority to deal with something that's on campus. What did you take away from that, uh, Tom? Well, you know, I think the fact that the court went through that analysis is important because, you know, by doing so, especially making the distinction between on campus and off campus uh, and going through on campus speech and kind of the framework that's already been set up for that, what they did was reaffirm that framework, uh, the Tinker Standard, the other cases that came after that, you know, including the Hazelwood School District and the school newspaper case, all of that really wasn't changed, but the, and by the court going through that, it helped affirm that that's still in place and made that distinction between off-campus and on-campus speech. Um, and then by going through that, continuing to go through that analysis with off-campus speech, they provided uh, affirmation that there are going to be situations where off-campus speech can be regulated. And by off-campus, you know, we're talking about things that aren't you know, aren't affiliated with the school in any way, not on school property, not at a school activity, things like that. But they left that door open, even if they left it open, uh, you know, just a, a crack, that door still open. And by going through that analysis and the opinion, they really affirmed that. Um, so it doesn't really change much in terms of our legal analysis when it comes to off-campus speech, we're still going to be looking at the standard under Tinker for that. You know, one aspect of this case that I found uh, particularly interesting is that the student was not out of school suspended in any way. And the discipline was limited to extracurricular activities, that is participation in varsity cheer. Um, you know, and I think there's a lot of confusion out there about this whole idea of um, a right versus a privilege and the due process that's required when we're talking about excluding somebody from education, meaning an out-of-school suspension, versus denial of the privilege of participation in extracurricular activities. Um, you know, so let's talk a little bit about that. I mean uh, – Really, that whole right privilege analysis doesn't apply when you're talking about free speech. Is that right, Drew? That's correct. And I mean, this is a situation that was purely a free speech issue, right? It was a post. It was words. Um, it wasn't uh, other actions other than those words, F the school, F cheerleading, F softball. Um, and so, you know, we're not even though this is, is not something that we, that was the, the district disciplined from a due process standpoint, right? The student wasn't suspended from school. Um, they didn't have that process, you know, really it's going to tie into kind of some of the discussions that we have with districts about, you know, citizenship requirements. So team rules, that was an issue here. This was a team rule issue is how the district uh, went forward with that. You know, when we talk about citizenship requirements under MSHSAs, um, you know, rules that they provide for students. Uh, you know, we talk about those situations and disciplining those situations, but the difference between privilege and right doesn't really apply to solely free speech issues. And so when we're looking at what those words are, there is a constitutional protection for students to say those things. And the court, you know, the court acknowledged that issue uh, in the case, but there's a differentiation there. 
Good. You know, I'm, I, I've been kind of pondering this and thinking about how this is going to apply for our school leaders out there and what they're thinking about as they try to determine, you know, uh, what they're going to do if they have this kind of situation. And you know, one, one thing that I, I wondered about is, and, and we've dealt with this in the firm, where we've had uh, episodes of misconduct, incidents of misconduct, if you will, that are online students away from school, completely off campus, but maybe the, they are engaging in um, something that's, as I said, online social media, it's, it's, it's Snapchat, it's TikTok, it's something, but it, it involves uh, not just speech, but also misconduct. Let me give you an example. Just say this, take this cheerleader case. How would it have been different if um, you had the uh, cheerleader before she engaged in her rant about the school and cheer and softball, um, if she had a, a picture of herself with her friend and uh, with alcohol, and she takes a big swig and, and then goes into the rant. And then the school disciplines only with respect to extracurricular activities um, on the minor in possession rather than anything to do with the, the rant, the speech. But it's all a part and parcel of the same event, if you will. Um, how do you think that plays out, um, given the things that you that Drew just described? Um, how do you think that plays out, Tom, uh, with respect to uh, how a school can deal with this under the uh, creditable citizenship uh, bylaw under Misha and how we're supposed to look at things? Well, I think it gives them better grounds to take action, but I also think that you're going to still run into the issue of free speech, mainly with the, the student or the student's parents bringing up the issue that this is punishment or retaliation for exercising free speech rights. So you have to be very careful when you're choosing what to do in this situation and making that distinction of you know, what is the basis for imposing any type of discipline and that it's truly based on the alcohol use rather than the, the message that was conveyed uh, throughout the rest of that Snapchat post. What do you think, uh, Drew? Do you think this should impact the, impact the way that school leaders think about this kind of discipline? And even if it simply involves a privilege as opposed to a right to attend school? I think what the court made clear in here is that um, – you know, in those situations, we're going to have some risk, right? Somebody can bring a claim that uh, that this was a speech issue. I think what it made clear is that we're going to have to point to something more, you know, documented something more than um, on the discipline side, uh, you know, the substantial material disruption. It's going to have to be significant. But when we're talking about, you know, those, those code of conducts and rules for, you um, for extracurricular activities, you know, we're, we're going to be looking. So the alcohol situation is a perfect example. I mean, we, we can say, well, this violates our rules. This violates our citizenship requirements. And the focus is going to be on that and not the language used and the evidence of that. Um, that's different than the discipline side, potentially in school when we're looking at the tinker standard. Um, but the thing is, is they're all going to get, as Tom said, they're all going to get kind of interwoven together when these students make claims or file a temporary restraining order against the school district. They're going to say, well, the school didn't really care that I was drinking. The school didn't even know, you know, that I was actually drinking. Maybe it was something else, but the, really what they're trying to punish me for is the speech. And so we're going to have to work through those things. I think what the court did here 
is they provided a kind of an extended framework of Tinker for out um, for off campus speech. But this is going to have to play out in lower courts. And I think we're going to see more and more of this play out in lower courts until there's there's some kind of dispute that rises to the top again at some point in the future where the court comes back and analyzes this. All good stuff from both of you. Um, I do want to give you, in just closing this out, both of you a chance to uh, kind of give us your takeaways from this thing. And as you look at it, you know, what do you think this case will mean to Missouri public schools? Uh, probably a, a better way to, of, of stating it is, you know, as sc our school leaders prepare for the fall, what do you think they need to be thinking about doing differently, if anything, uh, based on this case? And uh, Tom, I'll, I'll start with you. Sure. So really two things come to mind. One is uh, I would recommend that they give their activities handbook or their student handbook, if that's where it is, where they cover extracurricular activities and participation in that. Give that a, a close review before the start of next school year and make sure that the things that are in there are um, consistent with this new, as Drew called it, extended framework that's been put down about off-campus speech. Uh, and then the second part of that is make sure that your coaches, your administrators, and your athletic directors understand the implications here and, and what we need to be looking at when these situations arise. Because, you know, I, I've been a coach on the high school and college level. I know that when you have a situation like this, a, a player is putting, putting messages like this out uh, and your other players know about it and it gets back to you it's very difficult not to take action because that team morale, that team cohesion is so important. So if you have these kinds of things happening and it gets back to the coach and the coach isn't aware of this case and what the, what the implications are, you could find yourself even defending a lawsuit for something as simple as benching a player for a few games, rather than saying you're suspended from the activity for an entire year. I think that's a good point. The, you know, the thing that gets lost in the shuffle sometimes is that uh, when you're talking about First Amendment retaliation for exercising a free speech right, it really doesn't have to be, be a whole lot of an adverse action against that kid to trigger the right. You know, in this instance, we're talking about, okay, she can't do varsity cheer, but benching is enough, right? I mean, you know, it's just right. anything that's retaliatory for exercising the First Amendment right. So I think that's a great point, Tom. Um, Drew, what are your takeaways here? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, I agree with everything Tom said. The when when we when we look at this, I mean, I think the key thing is is this is solely limited to off-campus speech. I mean, unfortunately, social media is a morass that we all have to deal with, and that's a difficulty. And I think there are going to be some situations um, that districts are we're going to have to look at at kind of a heightened level of what we're um, what we're documenting as that material and substantial disruption. Um, we're going to have to look at things. I mean, I, I can see situations arising where you know, racial slurs are used or something like that. I mean, we're going to go through and point. I mean, if you if you think back to some of the Eighth Circuit cases, some of the cases that have affected Missouri public school districts, this doesn't change anything in those. So if you think about that case out of Lee Summit from several years ago, where um, there was specifically directed directed threats and and vulgarities to specific students on a blog and the specific teachers, this does not change that framework. So 
I mean, I think the understanding is, is while we need to show more of a disruption, it doesn't, it doesn't really kind of change what we've been thinking through and parsing through and working through in our prior situations. We're just going to have to have to be clear and show more if we decide to take some kind of action, whether that be suspension from a team or suspension from school. Um, one of the things just to kind of talk, talk lawyer shop, I mean, we, um, as lawyers, I always get excited to read dissents. And so one of the things is, is that Clarence Thomas had a dissent in this case. And, you know, historically people say, well, dissents are something that may foreshadow, you know, the future or future opinions about these things. Um, Clarence Thomas is firmly, uh, firmly cemented in the past on this. And so his focus in that dissent was, hey, in the 1800s uh, and, you know, the founding of this country prior to the 1800s, students didn't have free speech rights, period. So they don't have free speech rights now. And you can't show me a historical context. I don't think that's going to be an argument that wins the day in the future. I think we're going to continue to evolve as technology evolves. Um, Snapchat, I'm sure, um, was very, you know, in its formative years in the 1800s. But, um, you know, it's something that that it's always interesting to read, but I don't think is going to foreshadow how this gets addressed in the future. I think the courts are going to continue to look at this on a case by case basis and then weigh, you know, weigh whether this the disruption, you know, meets the discipline. Um, and and we're going to have to show in these instances that there was some actual substantial material disruption and explain why that's important to the district to be able to address. Good points. You know, you, you point out uh, the Thomas dissent and, and nominally or technically it's an eight to one decision, but in some ways it's a six, three decision, uh, you know, with the concurring out of Alito and everything. And um, I think that if, so, if for those that are court watchers out there that are very interested in this sort of thing, you know, it's it's worth a read of the concurring opinion and the dissenting opinion, because you always learn a little bit more about uh, the majority opinion when you do so. But with that, I think we'll go ahead and, and close it down. I appreciate you guys both taking the time to give your insights regarding this week's ruling uh, from the U.S. Supreme Court in the so-called cheerleader free speech case. And we thank you, the listeners, for taking the time today. And we hope you'll follow and share our Ed Council podcast on social media and subscribe to hear upcoming episodes on current legal topics and issues related to school law. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn. Or you can check us out at our website. Just Google Ed Council. That's E-D-C-O-U-N-S-E-L, all one word, and you'll find us there. Glad we could be together, and thanks for listening to this edition of Ed Council Insights.